Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Uh, we're going to be continuing the Foundations uh, a series, but our final installment of this series, unless the Holy Spirit says otherwise, is an introduction to prophecy. And this has really been a great uh, series, uh, I think, because if you want to send somebody to a series of videos on the YouTube page that sums up kind of who we are as a church and what we believe on a foundational level, here you go. Hey, this is my church, Life Story Church. Oh yeah, what, what's your church like? What do they teach? You can send them to the foundation series on youtube.com because really the foundations of what we believe are all here, right here in these five messages. We talked about how we believe that the Bible is, is the word of God that it is the Word of God. It is our anchor, the anchor of our faith. We talked about how we trust it, how we trust how it's been uh, translated. The journey We went through in the second installment, talked about the journey that the Word of God itself has been on as far as the translations, the codexes, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all of that stuff, into learning about grace and what grace really is. What is the doctrine of salvation? Also learning about repentance. What is repentance? And then last week, we began talking about an introduction into prophecy. And that's such a big one that we're having to break it up into two installments. And that's what we're going to begin with tonight. An introduction to prophecy part two is what we're uh, about to jump into. But before we do that, can we just hit pause on everything else? And let's just bless this time that we're sharing this evening. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just ask that you would have your way with this broadcast. Lord, have your way uh, with the words that are being spoken, your word that is being spoken tonight. We pray for hearts that would be pliable, minds that would be open, Lord, and we we pray for lives that would be transformed, Lord, that they, the people listening tonight, especially the people who need it the most, Lord, would hear and understand your love in a deeper way, perhaps the the deepest way they ever have before. Just open hearts, open eyes. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you've got your coffee. I've got mine, and I hope you've got your notepad. Last week, we opened up by saying to, to be a student of prophecy, you have to be willing to challenge traditions. You remember that? And that's a big reason that prophecy is not taught in a lot of churches. I can't tell you how many different people come through Life Story Church and they find us and they're glad to become a part of our church family. They say, I'm just telling you, we've been looking for a church that would just teach prophecy and there's not many out there. The reason it's not, it's hard to find is because challenging traditions can be expensive for a church. If you challenge traditions, you're challenging somebody's traditions, you're stepping on some toes, right? There's a lot of sacred cows, as we say, uh, in, in Christendom. You know, hey, don't go near that. Don't touch that. We, are not gonna, we might change a lot of things about the church, but we're not changing that. This is how we think about this one thing, and we're not going to change that. So teaching prophecy can be challenging. It can be costly because it can be offensive to traditions, Uh, Chuck Missler said this. 
And this is one of my favorite quotes of his. Can we take a look at that? He said this, tradition calcifies over truth, entombing it. And I have always loved that quote because truth has been entombed for generations. It truly has, especially in, in legalistic churches and lawless churches, but especially in legalistic churches, I have to say. I believe that it's only now being unsealed or unveiled for such a time as this. The Word of God, the Bible, this Bible is a book of prophecy. Did you know this? Can we see this graphic again from last week? We're going to recap some of the things we went over last week before we jump forward. The Old Testament alone, this is just the Old Testament. Take a look at this. The Old Testament alone contains 8,362 predictive verses forecasting. Forecasting something that's going to happen. That's 26.8% of the Bible, if you want to be precise. That's better than one out of every five verses in the Bible is a prophecy. 1,817 different predictions dealing with 737 separate matters. My goodness, the Bible is a book of prophecy that separates Christianity and Judaism, I'll say, from any other religion on the planet. It is a book that accurately predicts or predicted in the Old Testament case, New Testament. Well, actually, there's prophecies in the Old Testament yet to come true as well. But it's a book that accurately predicts the end from the beginning. This is not a quaint collection of tribal history. Secularists today would like you to believe that this is an, it's a nice collection. It's tribal history, good lessons, you know. No, this demonstrates supernatural origin. And I encourage you to go back to last week's message. I go into a couple examples right off the bat to talk about that. Um, uh, talking about uh, Daniel and uh, passage in Numbers and whatnot. So if you missed last week, please go back and watch it. I want us all, especially at Life Story Church, I want us all to understand why we un uh, interpret what we study the way that we do. So let me recap this for you real quick. Can I see this next graphic? I've got it here for myself as well. What's on the screen? Can we see the next graphic right here? These are different theological perspectives, okay? Hermeneutics is, the, is a fancy word for how you interpret your scripture. Do you take it literally on the right side of the screen or do you take it allegorical? Allegory is when you think that something is a collection of figures of speech or poems that really mean something other than what they're saying. Do you think the Bible is allegory? Revelation is allegory? Or do you take what it's saying literal? Do you take the prophecies of the, the Messiah in Israel as allegory? Or do you take them literally, right? So you're, wherever you fall in there, it's going to affect how you interpret the Word of God. We take the Word of God literally. Can we see the next graphic, please? I'm moving through this pretty quickly. We spent more time on it last week. So again, watch last week. But I'm trying to do some of this for those of you who missed last week uh, so we can kind of have a complete message here. How we at Life Story Church interpret end-time prophecy, prophecy period and end-time prophecy is this, okay? If you interpret the Word of God Literally, 
per our previous screen, you would be either amillennial or premillennial. So we would be premillennial. If you're premillennial, you'll see on this graph that you will believe in a seven-year tribulation. You'll believe Jesus is coming to rapture the church either before a tri seven-year tribulation, in the middle of a seven-year tribulation, or after a seven-year tribulation, okay? So we can, can agree with Christians in the church, brothers and sisters in the church that also take the word of God literally, yet still have disagreements on when Jesus is coming back, okay? One thing about this is if we, if we uh, interpret the word of God literally, usually we're going to agree on uh, doctrine of salvation. So we can agree on doctrine of salvation, but then still disagree on when Jesus is coming back in relation to the rapture. So this doesn't have to be a thing that divides us. It often does become a dividing point for many people and uh, believers and many churches, but it doesn't have to be if we just understand how we're arriving at our beliefs. So, okay, so you're, you think that Jesus is coming back at the end of the 70-year tribulation. Okay, well, I disagree with that. However, at least we both agree on the doctrine of salvation because we believe that the word of God is literal. Understand? So there's enough to unite us that we shouldn't be divided, all right? So uh, I hope that that encourages some of you guys, because I know there's been a, uh, this, this can become a divisive issue, and it just shouldn't. It just shouldn't, okay? So this is how we interpret Scripture at Life Story Church. We're premillennial, we take the Word of God literally, and we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church, and we're going to get into why that is the case here in just a little bit as well, okay? Basically, prophecy is the story of where we've been, where we are, and where we are going. I believe that we are living in times that were prophesied. We're living prophecy right now, I believe. So we've seen prophecy fulfilled, where we are, I believe we're living prophecy fulfilled, and we're going to see more prophecy fulfilled as well. Where, where have we been? Well, most would concede, most would concede that Jesus Christ fulfilled, if you're a literalist, especially, okay, that Jesus Christ, uh, even, even amillennials, they, if they believe that Jesus was the Son of God, right, even if they believe all, a lot of this is allegory, they would at least concede that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of a hundred plus prophecies to arrive when he did, where he did, to die on that cross for our sin and raise, raise from the dead and leave that tomb empty on the third day, okay? So he at least did that. That's where we've been. Most conclude that he fulfilled those prophecies. For the literalists, we also believe that he fulfilled the first four uh, feasts of the Lord, the four feasts of the Lord that God told the people of Israel to practice in Exodus 12 and Leviticus chapter 23. He told them to, to uh, remember certain sacred special days. And uh, he said, uh, uh, these are to be convocations for you. That word is mikra in the Greek. It means a full dress rehearsal. Well, rehearsing for what, right? They didn't even know what they were rehearsing for. And again, watch last week's message if you missed it. That's it's something that does, makes no sense in its own time domain, but makes perfect sense later on, right? Okay, okay. Uh, the Word of God is full, full of those, okay? A predictive text is prophecy, all right? Um, so, 
we look at the fulfillment of these prophecies uh, in, uh, uh, that are ultimately the first four feasts of the Lord. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, can we see that? Right out of the gate, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for what? Seasons, right? That word is moed in the Hebrew. It means appointments and for days and for years. In other words, let them be for divine appointments. What were those appointments? Can we see this next picture, Eva? This next picture, we've got a menorah perhaps. The feast of the Lord, thank you. The feast of the Lord, each candlestick of the menorah represents a feast of the Lord. God gave instructions for this religious calendar to begin at the site of the moon, the lights in the firmament. When this first sliver of the moon was to be seen on Yom Teruah, then the torches were to be lit, one running east, run, one running west, signaling the new year had begun and the festival of Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, had begun. And then a number of days began counting. Other feasts, uh, such as Passover, signified by the, the, by the sign of the moon in the heavens when to have that feast. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, God is establishing with his people when he wants them to do certain things, saying, I'm going to communicate to you when to do certain things with the sun, the moon, and the stars. That was established from the beginning in the first chapter of Genesis. Uh, then moving forward, if uh, where we have been, quick summary. Last week we talked about Daniel. We know that. Uh, how do we know that that uh, uh, these first four feasts were fulfilled of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits? Well, Jesus fulfilled the Passover, became the Passover lamb in, in accordance with the prophecy that comes to us from Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. We're not reading that tonight. Go watch last week's. But I will share this with you as a teaser in case you missed it. Can we see this next picture? This is a Cyrus cylinder. It's on display in a museum in London. It is uh, inscribed in it is a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the streets and the walls. It was given by Artaxerxes on March 14th, 14, or 445 BC. And can we see the next graphic? And uh, if you follow Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy that was given, verse 24 through 26, and you count exactly the number of days that you are told to, the 69 weeks, or in other words, 476 years, or exactly 173,880 days later to the day would have been the day that Jesus rode in on the donkey on Palm Sunday. Whew! April 6, 32 A.D. Boom. Fulfillment of prophecy to the day. Over a hundred prophecies fulfilled. This, is where, this book is a book of prophecy. Guys, it's a book of prophecy, and he's not done yet. Somebody say amen. Amen? Ray, say amen. 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 <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm telling you what. I'm going to get excited tonight. You know, we often wonder, we often wonder, how the Jews could have missed all these prophecies, all these prophecies about Jesus and the nature of his first coming. 
It's natural. It's natural. Look, the prophecies right there were there. They were right there. You had them, and you missed it. How did you miss it? Right. Well, especially in in the light in light of how it was aligned with Passover for crying out loud. Right. I mean, he fulfilled the Passover to the day with the Nisan tenth inspection of the lamb and all that. They had the prophecies. They had the signs. How did they miss it? Well. Jesus addresses this question himself. Did you know that? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Can we see that? Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red, verse 3. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? Mm, that's telling there. Let me take a look at this, or rather show you what he really means here. This word signs of the times in the Greek is this word in the Greek. It's uh, semion, semion. It means sign, right? Sure, yeah. A mark, right? To mark something. A token, you know, something that's distinguished from others, right? Well, listen to this. Look at B. It says a sign, prodigy, portent. An unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Something is happening right before you, transcending the common course of nature, of signs portending remarkable events soon to happen. You can tell at the sky, if it, look at the sky, if it's going to rain or not, but I told you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, to look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, to look for the signs in the heavens, the signs of the times, all of the prophecy of this book here, and you're standing here questioning me, asking me for a parlor trick. You can look at the sky and tell if it's going to rain or be severe or not, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? Look at that definition, definition again. Of miracles, the last one, of miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove the cause they are pleading is God's. The signs of the times. Remarkable events soon to happen. Scripture tells us a couple things, people, friends. Scripture tells us a couple things. According to Jesus, <clears throat> and uh, the prophecy he fulfilled himself, you know, the holy days and the feasts, they're pivotal to understanding prophecy. So if you've never done a good prophetic study on the feasts of the Lord, we've got them on YouTube, all right? We've got them on YouTube. Go back and, and watch them. Our Passover uh, messages, our... Um, you know, Resurrection Sunday messages, that whole Holy Week, uh, all those messages, all right, in the spring. And then in the fall, last fall, we did them in the fall, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Atonements, Tabernacles, all of that, all right? It also tells us this, though. Not, not only that, that interpreting holy days is important, but the, the Pharisees' religion, hear me now, okay? The Pharisees' religion had become so 
entombed by tradition that they could no longer see the truth. And he, the truth was literally staring them right in the face, in the eyes. And they were the eyes of the Messiah himself. I was watching, uh, I think it was, la- was it last night? We were watching The Chosen with the kids. And it was episode four of season two. In any case, the, the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethsaida, if you've seen the program. And it just jumped right out at me. When Jesus came and he healed the guy, the poor guy who was there, had been there for 38 years. They didn't, they didn't mention that, I don't think, in the show, but according to the scripture, for 38 years he had been sitting there. Nobody would help him into the pool for 38 years. And Jesus healed him, said, pick up your mat and go. And as he gets, picks up his mat to go, the Pharisee was there is witnessing this miracle. But what does the Pharisee care about? Here's what the Pharisee cares about. You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. And I loved it because one of Jesus's uh, uh, disciples, one of Jesus's disciples looked at him and said, that's the oral tradition. That's not Torah. And I loved that as a student of the word because that's the truth. That was never in the Torah, but that was the oral tradition. That was law that they had added, law that they had added. Um, Jesus dealt with that a lot, actually. Law that they had added to Torah um, uh, when uh, Jesus and the disciples were going through and on the Sabbath, they eat some grain and whatnot. And the Pharisees were upset and all that. You remember that story. I don't have time to get into it, but... My goodness, it just speaks to how the religion had become so entombed by tradition, right? The truth had become so entombed by their tradition, by their, I guess, religion, right? Point is this, church, don't let your traditions entomb you. Don't let your traditions entomb you, okay? If you're watching this tonight and you have been taught your whole life that Bible prophecy is, yeah, uh, you know, I think it's all been fulfilled. And maybe you, you lean allegorical. Just give me a chance, okay? Soften your heart enough just to hear what we're trying to communicate tonight. Don't let, don't let tradition entomb a potential blessing for you tonight, all right? You know, another thing I pull out of this is, are you watching right now? Are you watching uh, the signs of the times? Because there's a lot of signs of the times happening all around us right now. Are you watching for him? Are you watching for Jesus? Are you, are you a student of his word? Ask yourself this, truly, are you a student of his word? Are you a student of prophecy? Because Jesus clearly was disappointed that these, these uh, uh, Pharisees did not even recognize the time of his appearing. He actually wept, if you recall. He looked back on Jerusalem and wept. He said, if only you had realized the time of my coming. He wants us to be watching. You, Christian, are called to be a watchman on the wall. You are. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 tells us this. Finally, Paul writes, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who are you loving the thought of his appearance right now? Come on, somebody say amen. I hope you guys are talking a little bit tonight. Are you loving the, the, his appearing, the thought of his appearing, praying that he would come? And when he comes, will you just be so overjoyed and love his appearing? There's a crown for you. There's a crown for you, prophecy student, all right? Don't be discouraged, okay? As much as some say it's going to be this day and then it's not, and some say it's going to be that day and then it's not, you know what? Hey, I don't even begrudge people for, for, for trying to pick, figure it out and pick a day. At least they're looking. At least they're trying. At least they're so eagerly anticipating his coming. They're, they, they can't wait to, to their chomping at the bit, right? Oh, man. So where are we? So the prophecy is where we've been, where we are, where we're going. Where are we now, right? Can I see that picture of that menorah again? Um, I mentioned uh, the first four feasts being fulfilled. And to do a full teaching on that, again, you've got to go back to those teachings from last spring. The Passover, the unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit uh, came down. Uh, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, many believe, are yet to be fulfilled. So we're kind of waiting on that. Now there's a debate, will that just, after the rapture of the church occurs, if you believe in the rapture, right? Uh, uh, after that happens, will that be fulfilled during the tribulation with Jesus and the Jews? Or, uh, or will perhaps the Feast of Trumpets be the next domino to fall, and will it possibly involve the church? Well, I'm not, I'm not too dogmatic on that one, one way or another. I think there's good, uh, good points and cases to be made both ways. Um, but we are waiting for a next domino to drop. Something is going to happen. Now, the feast we look to, because that could just potentially tell us when it will happen. But as far as what's going to happen next, you know, I know a lot of people are afraid right now in the world, Christians too, because they don't know what's going to happen next. They see what's happening in Afghanistan, and... Uh, and you know, I want to make sure that we pray for the people of Afghanistan before we close tonight as well and devote some time there. Uh, it's just so horrible. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan, guys. We cannot fail to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Brothers and sisters in Christ are over there and have been abandoned by the U.S. military. How horrifying. Into the hands of the Taliban, who promise to, uh, they promise that they will... Um, uh, really be for women's rights this time around, according to Sharia law, which is basically no women's rights whatsoever. It's horrifying. And the story is coming out horrifying. We ha we're going to pray uh, when we close tonight for, for our brothers and sisters over there. Um, but many people are afraid with where we are in the world tonight. So I want to take a minute, and I want to look at a church in the Scripture that was afraid, Okay. Uh, I don't believe it's a coincidence uh, that of all the Pauline letters, the letters to the Thessalonians were written first. Can we see this next graphic, this list? Here's a chronological order of all of, <clears throat> all of Paul's letters. First Thessalonians, 
2 Thessalonians 52. The 52 on the left is AD, 53 AD, all the way down to 64 AD. Those are the first two letters that he, we have of his that were written. They were the first, they were the earliest. But here's an interesting thing. Their focus was on end time prophecy. Why would that be? Well, he was only with them for two weeks, or three weeks, excuse me. He was with them for three weeks. And, and what, what are his letters all focused on? End time prophecy. That should tell you that prophecy should be the part of the teaching of any healthy church, okay? It's a big part of Paul's teaching. It's one out of every five verses in the Bible, better than one out of every five, actually. The church in Thessalonica uh, was afraid. It was afraid that the end of the world was at hand and that they had been left behind. And that's what they were suffering. Paul's response in an effort to give them hope was to remind them of what he had taught them while he was with them. And what was that end time prophecy? So let's read that right off the bat. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Verse 16 reads, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hold that frame for a second. They're caught up. Well, you would just read over that and think, huh, I wonder what caught up means. I'm going to get uh, caught up. Well, you take a look at the word in the Greek. It's the word harpazo. It means forcibly snatched up. In the Latin Vulgate, it's translated as rapturo. That's where we get the word rapture. So the next time we get an allegorist uh, telling you that the word rapture is not in the Bible, tell them, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, have you read the Vulgate? It most certainly is, and that's where that word comes from, to snatch forcibly up. There are a couple keys here. First, I already said it. Don't ever let, don't ever let tell anyone tell you that the Bible doesn't say rapture. But pay attention to this. What does the Lord descend with? A shout, a voice, and the trump. The trump. And we'll come back to this, so put a pin in that, okay? Put a pin in that. There's a modern-day idiom for you, right? So Paul continues, though. He's going to continue to encourage them. He actually writes them another letter to encourage them, and he decides to talk about, guess what, with them in encouragement to them. End time prophecy. Let's read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Now we beseech you, brethren. Beseech, that word means earnestly beg. I'm earnestly begging you. Okay, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, And by our gathering together unto him, so there's the context, this is what I'm talking about, our gathering unto him, and us all coming together, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as if from us, because they had received a letter that was a fake letter from Paul and that really freaked him out, okay, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay? Let no man deceive you, verse 3, by any means, for that day shall not come except there come 
a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So he's saying, you think you're in the tribulation? Look around. Do you see the Antichrist anywhere? No. That son of perdition, and in, actually in uh, uh, the Greek, it says the son of Apollo, which is interesting when you wrap that into Revelation chapter 9, the Antichrist, the beast demon of the abyss coming out of the, uh, the bottomless pit that's opened, possessing Antichrist, all of that end, end time uh, uh, scenario. But he says there must come a falling away first, then the man of sin revealed the son of Apollo. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's going to claim to be God. So Paul uses the word beseech in his opening line though, right? Very strong word in the Greek, earnestly begging or to implore. It's an extreme use of the word beg. I'm begging you, okay? Regarding that, remember this. Are you ready for it? Because he wants you to remember it, okay? He said that they were not to be troubled either by spirit, demon, nor by word, nor by letter from anyone, that this day of Christ had begun. And then he continues in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, that that day shall not come except there come a what? Falling away first. Falling away first, comma. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. But what comes first? Falling away. All right, there we go. All we need to do is wait for the apostasy of the church, right? Everyone to leave the church. That's all we're waiting for. Wait a minute. Not so fast. Paul is telling us not to allow ourselves to be tricked by any man into believing that the day of wrath has begun, for it cannot start until after a falling away. So what does that look like? Well, the Greek for falling away is this word, apostasia. And apostasia got translated into apostasy in the King James Version and then many other versions. And apostasy in English means to abandon one's faith. So that's what everybody thinks. However, in the Greek, apostasia does not mean apostasy in the English. Apostasia means this. Can we take a look? The, the word is a Greek compound of apo, or from, and istemi, or stand. Thus, it has a core meaning of away from or departure. Liddell and Scott's A Greek-English Lexicon defines apostasia first as defection, revolt, then secondly as departure or disappearance disappearance. And we see this next uh, graphic on the screen. Paul Tan, Paul Tan, Bible scholar, writes this. <clears throat> and <clears throat> some of these graphics you'll notice I'm just pulled off of our, uh, out of our file from the rapture doctrine, a, uh, uh, a teaching we did over a year ago. If you guys have never watched The Rapture Doctrine, please, especially all you Life Story diehards out there, go watch The Rapture Doctrine on our YouTube uh, channel and share it. Share it, share it, share it, share it. 
He writes, what precisely does Paul mean when he says that the falling away must happen before the tribulation? The definite article, the, denotes that this is a definite event, an event distinct from the appearance of the man of sin. The Greek word for the falling away taken by itself does not mean apostasy or defection. Neither does it mean to fall as the Greeks have another word for that, pipto, I fall. The best translation of the word is to depart. The Apostle Paul here refers to a definite event, which he calls the departure, which will occur just before the start of the tribulation. This departure is the gathering together of the church, otherwise called by some, the rapture of the church. Wow. (laughs) Next graphic. This is how it was, this is how it was translated early on. The Geneva Bible published in 1560 used the word departure. The Cranmer Bible, 1537 used the word departure. The Tyndale Bible published in 1539 The Reformers' Bible didn't say uh, uh, that this was going to be an apostasy, a religious falling away. No, it means the the departure, the event. All preceding the King James versions, all translations preceding the King James versions, before the day of the Lord comes, there must come a departure first. Remember the context of this whole chapter when he's saying, I beseech you in the strongest terms possible. I earnestly beg you regarding the fact that you think you're in the tribulation right now. Remember what happens first, the departure. The coming of the Lord Jesus and the clouds are gathering together unto him. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, can we see that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, King James Version, wherefore comfort one another with these words. There is no comfort, no comfort in telling Christians that they are to suffer the horrible torture and persecution in the great tribulation. Remember, the great tribulation is God pouring wrath out on the earth. It's not Satan shooting arrows. It's not you suffering from sin and death uh, that came into the world through sin in the garden. It's not, it's not just why normal suffering that's in this horrible world in Afghanistan right now. It's not this, that run-of-the-mill human punishing human, demon punishing humans. No, the great tribulation is God himself pours his wrath out on the wicked. Church, hear me now. Paul, the apostle Paul, taught a pre-tribulational rapture period. Some try to say that this is a new idea, that it was just birthed, birthed in the 1850s by Darby, and it just is not so. Can we see the next graphic? Here you go. Here's some, uh, uh, here's some uh, references for you. The epistle of Barnabas talks, uh, gives uh, purely so much support to a pre-tribulation rapture. That was written in about 100 AD. Arrhenius in Against Heresies, pre-tribulational rapture. 
some will argue on that, but I, I, I see it all over and against heresies. Hippolytus was a disciple of Arrhenius in the second century, taught pre-tribulation rapture. Justin Martyr blatantly taught pre-tribulation rapture in the dialogue of Trypho. Ephraim the Syrian in the fourth century as well. And then I've got a couple of quotes for you from early church fathers. Can we see that? Ephraim of Nicebus wrote in 306 AD, or he lived from 306 AD to 370. 380 AD, he wrote an, uh, this sermon on the last times. He's writing eschato eschatologically about the Antichrist and the end of the world. Best sermon title ever. Every time I shared this quote, I got to say that on the last times, the Antichrist and the end of the world. For all the saints and elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation. When is that? Prior to the tribulation. When was that? 306 AD. Yeah, I don't think this idea was invented in the 1850s, okay? Uh, prior to the tribulation that is to come, and are taken to the Lord, lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. And then, of course, we have Arrhenius as well, uh, in Against Heresies, I mentioned that a second ago. And he says, when in the end that church will suddenly be caught up from this, then it is said there will be tribulation as, has, as not been since the beginning, nor will be. Church, I don't know how else to tell you this, but one day, one day, and it may just seem like a day that's just like any other, Jesus is going to come in the clouds, and in the twinkling of an eye, we will meet him there at the last trump. The trumpet will sound. The truth is reiterated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Can we read that? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, you can't unsee this. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Don't let your traditions entomb you and rob you of this blessing and this blessed hope, okay? You were raised in a church maybe that didn't believe in rapture, that didn't, that thought, taught all prophecy was fulfilled, that taught allegory. Don't let tradition rob you of this blessed hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Church, there is a reason for hope. A reason for hope. Deceiving spirits that were operating then to terrify Christians in Thessalonica are working hard in the church today. They're working hard to terrify you right now as we're seeing an end time scenario set up for a one world order and everything else all around us. It can be scary, but let don't forget this blessed hope. Luke chapter 21, verse 28. Don't listen to those deceiving spirits. Look up. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Somebody say amen. Amen? Ray, say amen. 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 Look up and see what Jesus 
<laughs> up and see what Jesus had wished. He wished the Pharisees had seen, but they were blinded by tradition or they would have seen. Divine appointments set in the, in the skies. The timing predicted, prophesied to the day in Daniel. Mm. Church, church, church. It's all going to be happening soon. That's where we are. We're living history right now. Not the next graphic, Eva. I'm going to skip that one. Can we get, get me to the next graphic after the next one? Yes. Where we are going. What should we be watching for? Can we take a look at this picture? And we're going to close here tonight. We'll close on this subject anyway. Don't get too excited, Eva. All right. <laughs> we're going to see, and we're already seeing it, aren't we? A struggle for Jerusalem. Take a screenshot of this if you're watching on your phone or if you're watching on the TV at home. Take a picture of it. Here's your verses. This is what we're looking for. Is there going to be a struggle for Jerusalem? Luke chapter 21, verse 20 through 22. Prophesy that it'll be surrounded by armies again. The days of vengeance will come. All things which are written will be fulfilled. Everything fulfilled. The words of Jesus in Luke chapter uh, 21. Words of Jesus speaking of the end times, everything will be fulfilled at this point. This is the end that he's speaking of. Remember in Luke chapter 4, when he talked about the acceptable year of the Lord, it began his ministry, he opened up, read the Isaiah scroll, and stopped just short of saying the day of vengeance. Now he said, this is the day of the Lord, the dectos year of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord, where bounty and free-flowing favor uh, abounds and blessings, and the ne very next, uh, after the comma was, and the day of vengeance for the Lord. He didn't read that on purpose because that's not the day of vengeance yet. But this tribulation period will be the day of vengeance, okay? Uh, it's coming. It's coming. Everything will be fulfilled. The day of vengeance will come. Zechariah chapter 12 there as well. Jerusalem becoming a stone, a stone and an immovable rock for the nations, a cup that sends uh, all the surrounding people around the world reeling. All, to try, all who try to move it will injure themselves, if you're familiar with this. This is a cheat sheet for you guys of all the different prophecies that are yet to come. That I believe that we're going to see these things not necessarily happen because we don't have to be here for a lot of these things to happen, but we're going to see them starting to happen. We see how the whole world goes after this little piece of real estate called Israel that's, that's not even bigger than Rhode Island. It's like the size of Rhode Island and the whole world is after it. If that is not fulfilling Zechariah chapter 12, um, I don't know. I don't know what is. And it will be fulfilled all the more, all the more. Uh, Israel, all of Israel will recognize Jesus, Zechariah chapter 12 as well. Let me just read it, read it to you, uh, 10 through 14. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. 
You think that he's done with the Jewish people, replacement theologists? He's not done with the Jewish people. He'll pour out a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Whoo, come on now. This is Old Testament. They hadn't even pierced him yet. The one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Hmm. Jesus, the only Son of God. And they will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad Raman in the plain of Megiddo. Hadad Raman, public weeping. It's possibly associated with, the, uh, with Josiah in the valley of Megiddo. But also, possibly, and this is possibly associated with Molech worship and the sacrificing of uh, firstborn only sons, which that's, I'm not even going to go into that in case there's kids watching. Ah, this world. One world religion. You see that on the list? Can we see that list if we haven't yet? Or again, one world religion, Revelation chapter 13. We've talked about that a lot. We see that happening right in front of us. Uh, the Pope openly, openly uh, spouting heresy left and right now, trying to put together a Jewish, uh, Muslim, Catholic, Chrislam, uh, one world religion he's putting together. How he is not the false prophet of Revelation 13, I don't know. We'll see. But it's coming. It's coming. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, uh, that false teaching abounds today, abounds today, okay? Uh, this whole you know, there's no absolute truth. There's many paths to God. You've got to be politically correct. It's all a religion. It's like it's become a religion. It's a religion to them. Mm. They say the God of the Jews is, you know, the same God of the Muslims, all that. One world government. One world government. Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 14 it's because of the signs it was given power, or 13, excuse me, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. That means all of them. Inhabitants of the earth, by the way, at that point in Revelation chapter 13, Christians and Jews are never referred to as inhabitants of the earth. The church certainly never is. That's, that's interesting. But no business, no commerce will happen Without the mark, right now you're seeing uh, a running up to that. God, are you recognizing the signs of the times you're living? Don't be scared. Get excited, guys. That's what I'm hoping to get to you, across to you tonight. Jesus said, yeah, you can tell if it's going to rain, but you can't tell the signs of the times. Come on, guys. If only you had realized the time of my coming. He's coming soon. We can see the signs of the times that are telling us he's got to be coming soon. I mean... Look at the United States of America, the freest land in all the world. You can't go buy groceries or go to a restaurant without a, a, a passport, without, without a, a, a vaccine passport now, right? I mean, that's just conditioning us. I don't think that's the mark of the beast, obviously. I'm not saying that, but I think it's conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. We can see that the runways are being cleared. We see what's happening with China as well. 
Revelation 16, Revelation chapter 9. If you're curious how China plays into end-time prophecy, I want you to check that out, okay? What's coming else? The coming wars. We're going to see a Gog-Magog war, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. We're going to see the running up, the birth pains of uh, Matthew chapter 24. A temple is going to be built. We're going to see apostasy in the church, Paul wrote to Timothy saying they're going to they're going to prop up for themselves teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear and they'll call themselves Christians still. Is that happening? Like I said from the beginning of tonight, I believe we're living prophecy right now. I believe we're living prophecy right now and I think that we shouldn't be scared. I, I know it can be scary but you you need not worry. You know the Bible says don't worry 365 times. One for every day of the year, right? So we need not be worried because we have this blessed hope. We promise that we will not suffer the wrath of tribulation, the wrath of God himself. Now, there may be hard times. We need to prepare for hard times. We need to be, use wisdom and be smart, okay? Uh, but we're close, church. We're close. The more we see the prophecies, the unfulfilled prophecies that I've laid out begin to be fulfilled the closer we know the signs of the times, right? The closer we know we have to be to the time of his appearing and coming again. And the next domino to fall prophetically, truly, could be the rapture of the church. Just like that, one day that seems like any other, we're there, we're with him, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We'll close there tonight. I want to pray tonight for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan um, and all around the world, but especially there tonight because uh, this is the, the, the pain and the suffering in this world, truly. You know, I want Jesus to come back for me, right? For me, I want him because I love him and I, I'm just excited but I want him to come back for children who are abused, who are uh, being trafficked, the people who are suffering for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ all around the world right now, and especially in Afghanistan. Lord Jesus, please come quickly for them. Please come quickly for them. If not even for, for us in America, come for them, Lord Jesus, the suffering that they're going through for them. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we just lift up our brothers and sisters right now, Lord, in, G in Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters, members of the church, Lord. Lord, that we could be with them, Lord, and, and, and share tears of joy with them, Father, for their rescue. We pray that you would rescue them, Lord. Rescue them supernaturally, Lord Jesus, somehow, some way, some country, some nation, whatever, whoever you want to use, Lord, to get them out of harm's way supernaturally tonight, Lord. We pray that warring angels would surround every child, Lord, every woman, every man that would be the target of, of, uh, of a Satan, that satanic Sharia law, Lord God. 
and those that espouse it, Lord, Lord, go to war in the spirit. May your legions of angels go to defend them, Lord, and surround them, Lord, and that when they would try to harm them, Lord, they wouldn't be able to harm them, and they would be confused and perplexed, and that they would end up hurting themselves if they even tried to harm your beloved, Lord Jesus. All our hearts, Lord, we pray with all those, so many who are praying for them around this country right now, but our hearts link together, Lord, and we come before your throne and we boldly petition your courts with great expectation to see your hand move, Lord. Be glorified, Lord, in this, that the the praise reports begin pouring out and that they're delivered from that country and that place and, and into safety, into safe hands. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his, fa- may his face shine upon you. May he give you grace, go before you, follow after you, walk beside you. May you prosper in all you do. May he keep you safe, healthy, and strong. And uh, safe as you travel to church on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys so much. Rutledge West off the McCrory Lane exit, just into Pegram, uh, Tennessee, west side of Nashville, guys. Um, uh, We love you so much. You're invited. We hope to see you there. Uh, Share the video, share the content, and just keep praying, and just keep looking up, and boy, can make it an endeavor of yours to be one who can be described as loving his appearance. Amen? His appearing, rather, right? Amen. We love you guys. Have a great night. Uh, God bless.